Good morning and welcome to ASL's HR in 10. At 10. I'm Jason Perry. And I'm Kimberly Bradshaw. And each week we come live on YouTube here to talk to you about the latest goings on in the world of HR and employment law. I kind of think, Kimberly, we ought to be talking a little bit about what's going on with inflation and pay rises at the moment. Yes, I mean, certainly that's been on the radio a lot as I've been driving around uh, to meetings and what have you. And I think, you know, there's a there's looking to be a big gap between, uh, you know, what prices are going to be and what people can afford, isn't there? Indeed. I mean, we, we, we're now only, what, six weeks away from the change on the uh, uh, living wage, um, which goes up quite a big amount again. It's uh, going up to £9.50 um, yeah. this year on the 1st of April. And that's a 6.6% pay rise. What, what's your kind of feeling on the differentials? What's going to happen to the rest of uh, the workforce? Well, I think if we look at the um, the, mar the labour market outlook from the CIPD, they're expecting a median basic pay award of 3%. Mm, yes. So, you know, if national living wage goes up 6.6 .6 and that only goes up 3, but then if you take into consideration the fact that um, the uh, Consumer Prices Index has already ridden, mm. risen 5.5%, um, Yes. You know, I don't think, and then you've got to bear in mind the employer's ability to pay these prices. Yes. And what you've got to bear in mind, that median pay of 3%, I was surprised how low it was, but mm. apparently that's the biggest median increase we've seen in something like nine or 10 years. Um, and I say in nine or 10 years, but it's another one of those lovely since records began moments. <laughs> um, lots That's of the same with the, the Consumer Prices Index, isn't it? I know, it? it's wonderful, isn't it? Records only began in 2013 in the uh, Labour yeah. Market Survey, but it's the biggest increase we've seen since the survey began. Um, typically, it looks like it's been running at around 2% recently. And one of the things I think you have to bear in mind why it's only 3% is there will be a lot of employers who either are struggling and cannot make any kind of pay award or arguably that might be tied up somewhere in a prey freeze arrangement for whatever reason who are therefore simply excluded and i think it might be something as many as 30 or 40 percent of employers effectively who are not planning pay rises because they don't feel they can mm. so that three yes, percent arguably that's... is much higher Yes, and what that has been making me think as you've been speaking is we've talked a lot about um, becoming an employer of choice and, you know, the, the, the statistics around uh, having to pay more to get people into jobs um, and the, the lack of skills on the market and that kind of thing. So, you know, is it actually going to be 3%? Will it be higher as it's been driven by a, a candidate-led market? Yes. Well, we've certainly seen, and I think it was a few weeks ago, we were talking about professional services, where they were suggesting in some elements of the professional services sector, it's not going to be uncommon to see pay awards in double digit percentages this year. 10, 15% is not going to be abnormal. Um, so we've kind of got some thinking to do. And one of the big bits that strikes me as an employer is you don't really want to be caught into being forced to make multiple pay awards during any given year, do you? No, not at all. Um, but I think certainly employers need to be looking at their figures and seeing what they're going to have to do 
uh, and what they can do. As you said, some can't. Um, I think what we've also done, when we were talking about the national um, living wage, we didn't talk about the real living wage. Indeed, I was about to come on to that. Uh Great minds, as always, Jason. (laughs) Yes, uh, we've we've got the, the national living wage, um, but there's an organisation that do a lot more work on this who simply say that actually isn't enough for people to live on. And therefore, we've got the real living wage. That went up in November to, I think it's £9.90, just looking at my notes. Yeah. Um, and they gave people who signed up to that um, project six months in order to meet that new rate. Mm. So expect all employers to come on board by May, which is interestingly one month after the living wage goes up. Um, Yes, I wonder if they'll change it again, given how much the uh, national living wage is going up. Well, I think the thing to bear in mind is it's just over a pound more um, Mm. than the previous um, living Mm. wage rate. Um, So uh, there's going to be effectively a big drop on from from April, Mm. May onwards. Um, it's also worth mentioning some numbers on that, I feel, because we've seen, and you and I have seen with the clients we've been working with and supporting, a lot of impact where employers have been forced to give pay rises, certainly in the last three to six months. The number of employers signed up to the real living wage um, is apparently about 9,000 and increased by some 3,000 during the pandemic. So the concept is gaining a lot of momentum. Indeed, we had somebody on the uh, ASLHR forum yesterday talking about a desire to sign up to it by pressure from their suppliers. Mm. Yes, and you know certainly some of the more public sector entities will be looking for things like that uh, in a supplier. Um, yeah, I think you know, 9,000 isn't actually that much, that many, when you think about the volume of uh, businesses out there, but it's a good start. Yes. 3,000 is a big increase, though. Yeah. So uh, it's an interesting one to watch, um, and I guess we're going to see more and more separation. Probably for about the past 10 to 12 years, I'd say, we've had a lot of pay rates clustered together around the minimum or the living wage. Mm. Um, And I think what we're likely to see over the next year or 18 months is quite a bit of separation on that Mm. and firms becoming competitive again um, as A, we have inflationary pressures, but B, we have a shortage in the workforce. There's there's just a shortage of good candidates, aren't there? Absolutely, yeah. That kind of moves us quite nicely on, actually. Shall we talk about apprentices? Why not? Yes, there's lots going on there, isn't there? There's there's some really interesting things. And as you know, I've got a bit of background in this sector, uh, having run an apprenticeship organisation before. And one of the reasons we got out of it is we didn't feel that the current structure of the system was working well. But what struck me is I think it's since 2014, we've seen a very, very significant drop in the number of people doing entry-level apprenticeships. Isn't it 72%? It's around that, yes. Um, And the reality is 
if we have labour shortages right now, if we're struggling to recruit for a whole range of roles, we need people in those roles, don't we? We need to bring apprentices in to start bringing in tomorrow's talent. Exactly. And there's um, you know, nothing like growing your own. Mm. But there are issues with having apprent- young apprentices you know, as employees, as we both have experienced. The bit that really caught my interest on this, 72% drop is big, but the number of people who are below 19 actually are making up just 11% of the you know, group who are signing up to do apprenticeships. And that is frighteningly low. We need to see a step change in schools, in colleges, encouraging people. This is a credible route. And I guess providers in order to offer the opportunities into the workplace. Absolutely. And it's why isn't it young people? What is it they're doing? Is it because they're going to university or they're going into, you know, a job that is potentially higher paid? Well, there's some separation. If you look, I mentioned entry level apprenticeships. Yeah. So I guess here we're talking level two, level three apprenticeships. Mm. But during the same period, we saw a 72% drop. We actually saw a 400% increase in the number of people doing higher level apprenticeships. Now that seems to be driven by employers using their apprenticeship levy fund or schemes available to drive management training, to drive you know, uh, bringing in senior skills rather than looking at how they're going to fill the talent at the the lower rungs of the ladder. Mm. Yes, and, you know, does that give the the lower rungs the potential for career development if they're bringing people in above them? So lots to think about there. But for me, the thing that I thought was most interesting is the opportunity of um, they're planning to have allow prisoners to apply for apprenticeships. Yes. Um, Again, caught my attention. I mean, we we know there has always been a degree of work in this space to help rehabilitate people and get them back into the workplace. Um, And it's always a challenge because there's a certain stigma attached. Um, And that's become worse, I think, because we've had the DBS checks. More organisations than arguably should are checking people's past if we have a Rehabilitation of Offenders Act, one might reasonably assume that people's past should be treated as spent if mm. they've actually been through that process. But we've got new legislation coming in this year, and it's a trial project. But it's a, this year going to allow for 100 people who are in prison, either awaiting release or, uh, you know, kind of on a day release setting, I guess, in an open prison, to actually start their apprenticeship, to actually begin that process whilst they are a prisoner and start building a career in the outside world ready for their release. Yes, as you know, it's a topic very close to my heart. I've spent um, many years uh, supporting some very well-known prisons with a career club. I used to go in once a week in the evening and I would help support those that uh, were due to be released. And they have a huge range of skills. Mm. You know, they can't see it. You know, the number of times I've had, oh, miss, uh, you know, I was a drug dealer. I don't know what to do. And it's like, well, you know, you had clients, you had a product, you had to work out your pricing. So, you know, they do have a lot of... Transferable transferable skills. skills. Um... 
but also prisons already have um, lots of career orientated training. So Timpsons, for example, um, have a lot of training, but they do lots of other organizations have setups in there yes. to train people because the statistics are amazing. If you rehabilitate and um, get them a job. Yeah, yeah. The offence, re-offence rate yes. just plummets. And I think the big thing there is the feedback that we've seen from clients who've done it. And it is comments like, these have turned out to be very reliable, trustworthy employers, employees, sorry. So it's working really well. Um, Kimberly, um, as ever, you and I can talk <laughs> probably for a whole morning, but this is HR in 10 and we've kind of gone over our 10. So for the moment... <laughs> Let's wrap up. Um, thanks for watching, and we will see you same time next week. Look forward to it. See you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.